tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Yes, we are the Geek's Watch, and we are here to uh, shuttle in some of the news and uh, reviews that you want to hear about this week. John, how are you this week? I'm back like a long-lost relative. <laughs> and if you've watched this week or this week's episode, or I guess last week's episode, how we uh, we um, wait a week to put these out because we want to make sure everybody watches the episode, uh, that makes sense to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into that, John, let's, let's let's hear some of the geek news that's going around the the internet this week. Alright, we have a new Transformers movie being teased online. Um, A new production still for Transformers The Last Night. Night spelled K-N-I-H-G-H-T. What that means at this point is anybody's guess, because knights are not necessarily part of the Transformers mythos. They really aren't. (laughs) No. And this being uh, a Bay production, I mean, who knows what he's including. He's probably going to do a Knights of the Round Table set in Cybertron with a crypt or Cybertronian King Arthur for anybody's guess at this point. I wouldn't doubt it because that that still that poster that they released it it has a like traditional like Arthurian sword in there in the picture as opposed to the Transformers sword that we've seen in previous Transformer movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, I must. I I hate to think of it now, but. For some reason, Bay putting a robotic Lady of the Lake is <laughs> like perfectly within his style of schlock. <laughs> yes, yes, most definitely. Uh, I also heard that the the they have um, finalized the fact that Megatron will once again be the main villain of the movie. <sighs> yeah, um, he's he's back again after dying <laughs> three times already. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's worse than comic book movies. You just can't stay dead, you know. Like, I know you and I are both big Transformers fans. I don't know to what degree you are, but like, I used to live and breathe Transformers as a middle schooler, and now as a grown man child, I, mean, I have <laughs> all kinds of toys that I couldn't afford back when I was a kid. You know, I've done eBay scouring and you know imports and stuff, and all I want is just a good. G1 story. Oh, you know, man. it doesn't have to even be set in the 80s, although that would really help with the aesthetics. <laughs> you know, have Optimus Prime be a flat nosed Mack truck. Yeah. Have Bumblebee be, if not a Beetle, because Volkswagen's kind of protective of their license, just a small car that, you know, 
like a small Ford practical. Escort or something, right? Yeah. You know, have Starscream be an F-15 Eagle and not an F-22 Raptor. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. He's so overpowered, if you think about it, compared to fighting a semi-truck. Yeah, that's true. It's... And Megatron, I'll give you that. It might be difficult to pull off him being a handgun. So just don't have him transform at all. Just have him have a huge cannon on his arm and you know, have similar shapes to what they were back then and not like a jumbled mess of wire and metals. <laughs> it's so frustrating having been a fan of Transformers and then just movie after movie, just having Michael Bay destroy the franchise and <laughs> yet making hand over fist, you know, money about it too. It's just, this life is not fair. <laughs> the struggle is real. <laughs> Look, I, I mean, when I was uh, I was young, I I live and breathe that that cartoon. I loved it. I loved the the Transformers, the movie, uh, all that stuff was great. You know, um, have I kept up with any of it? Any of the newer series? No. Any of the toys? No. I mean, I had I had my uh, Peterbilt fucking flat nosed uh, Optus Prime when I was a kid, and but uh, you know that I don't I don't think I ha- I don't have any Transformer toys anymore. But uh, yeah, I would love to see a Generation One proper movie. That would be amazing to see. Yeah, see, here's how I know it can be done right. You have the Transformers Devastation game, which came out like a, a year ago. Then you have the Transformers War for Cybertron and Fall of Cybertron series, which was separate from this one, but still good. Right. And then you have the the Dreamwave comics which were really good at integrating the G1 aesthetic with a more modern style. That's right. All of these prove it can be done. All of these are loved by the fans. And yet, (laughs) Michael Bay just can't seem to grasp that and wants to do it his way. Now, granted, I mean, obviously he's doing something right because even though each iteration is worse than the last, he still makes all the money. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) But I'll tell you what, with each version that's come out, I've gone to see them less and less. I think I saw the first movie like three times because, like you, I was excited. But I was also hopeful that it just meant that it would be the beginning of a Transformer renaissance. Right. I think I saw the second movie twice. I saw the third movie once because I was invited and they paid for it. (laughs) And to this day, I, I have not seen the fourth movie. Even when it plays on like HBO Go or Netflix... I don't even bother. I'm we, like, no, I, I refuse. That's good because that that fourth movie is abysmal. It's so, <laughs> it's so horrendous. Like, like it's three different movies that they tried to shove together, and it you know it doesn't even make sense. Like, ugh. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think this the new, most attention I put to it. Yeah. Yeah, this new movie uh, is really gonna have to be great in those previews to get me to go to the theater to watch it. You know, I would almost say if they have Unicron, I might be interested, but they might pull a Devastator and give them testicles, and I just don't even want to. I don't want to, no. Uh, fair enough. Okay. Uh, my story. One of my stories is that um, we can probably look forward to uh, Injustice Gods Among Us 2 coming out from NetherRealm Studios. Um, it sounds like they will more than likely... Um, Unveil either in the coming days or just before E3, which starts in June, uh, starts June 14th in, in LA. 
I'm excited. I, I have to say Injustice is what got me back into comic books after several years of not caring anymore because I thought the stories were pretty stale. And it was a pretty good shakeup, you know, the, having the whole Superman going bad, but because of a really good reason. Right. And it was really well done. I really enjoyed it. Um, I liked the character dynamics. I thought the video game was excellent. Um, I have seen the all the cutscenes put together into its own little short movie on YouTube, which is pretty cool. Ooh, I, I hadn't thought about checking that out. That That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen that one, and I've seen the one for Ghostbusters, which to me is the official part three. That the series <laughs> never got it. Um, yeah, and it's they're really fun, entertaining, and the game was a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to a part two. If it's, I hope it's good. Me too. I, I like I've I've talked about this on our website and and wrote about it. I mean, the the game itself has spawned so much interest in in the comic books just from people who don't normally read comic books so uh, obviously it was a good idea and it it, uh, um, it really blossomed and, and brought people back to the medium so I'm, I'm happy for it right on did you, did you have another story yes um, two short ones dealing with movies it looks like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is going to get another shot at being a movie um, early reports, though, are unclear whether it's a sequel or a remake. The article says it's a, going to be a remake, but uh, it looks like they don't really have the whole story. No director has been announced yet, and the the summarization is uh, Victorian-era literary characters uh, team up to fight a common enemy. So, I mean, that could be the sequel, that could be a remake, because that's pretty much the plot of both of them. Yeah, I mean... I'm probably one of the few people that will actually sit there and, and say that I liked the the first movie when it came out. Um, if they made another one, I definitely would not want it to be a sequel because since that first movie came out, I have I have gone back and read the comic books, and yes, the comic books are much better than that movie was, uh, and oh, yeah. and so much different just because uh, the way that they handled the characters. So I would love them to be a little bit more accurate to the comic books. Um, obviously we wouldn't get a, uh, agent Tom Sawyer <laughs> because oh, he, yeah. well, he, he wasn't even in it. Yeah. He, yeah, he didn't exist. They that just, was for us Americans because, <laughs> yeah, because we wouldn't we, understand all these Brits. <laughs> we wouldn't understand that all these characters were, uh, literary characters unless we had Huck or we had Tom Sawyer in it, which I thought was hilarious when I found that out. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I would ha- be glad to see uh, another League of Extraordinary now, gentlemen. I would really like to see it as a as a as a series, actually, instead of just a movie. Personally, but I guess oh, that, yeah. that that would kind of be a little too close to Penny Dreadful. I don't know if you watched any of that. I haven't watched it, but I have heard the comparison. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. You got like Victor Frankenstein, and um, I think Mina Park- Parker shows up. At some points, but they don't use her as much as the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, it'd be nice if they did have a series, though, because they could eventually work their way up, like in the comics, up through the ages. Eventually, they go into the 40s and then later into the 60s. And you have, like, all the literary characters that were around back then, like, uh, you know, serial characters like the Phantom and uh, the Shadow. I mean, those are kind of cool for cross-universe Hijinks. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty amazing. So, 
Uh, yeah, a, a series like a, yeah, exactly. A series would be pretty awesome. Um, right on. I have the fact that it was reported a, a few weeks back that the 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 director of Flash, the movie, uh, left the project, uh, citing creative differences. And uh, ComicBook.com has cited that there are twelve directors who could claim the Flash solo movie. Uh, and uh, one of I'd like to talk about the one of them or talk about them because uh, you know I just I find it interesting. But uh, Duncan Jones of the recent Warcraft movie uh, would be a choice. Hmm. Guy Ritchie of, you know, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels or Snatch. Alex Garland of uh, uh, Ex Machina, which was an incredible movie. Yeah. Uh, Dan Trackenberg of recent 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, Lexi Alexander, who I think does a lot of television uh, directing as of uh, right now, but she, I think she did, she did do uh, Punisher Warzone. That's right, yeah. Um, Gareth Edwards, who we know from the Godzilla movie. Uh, Neil Baumkamp, who's famous for, you know, District 9 and uh, Elysium. Uh, ben Wheatley, I don't know, I don't th- know that name off the top of my head, but uh, says Wheatley is best known for his newest film, High Rise. Uh, doesn't make any. I haven't heard. Of- yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I never heard of him. Going back to Blomkamp, I believe you were the one that first showed me Blomkamp's short film online. Oh, the uh, Joburg or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's... Yeah, the one that uh, Chappie was eventually adapted to or from. I would right, yeah, exactly. Which I hated Chappie. <laughs> <laughs> it had potential, but yeah, I, I think I've heard you guys talk about it somewhere else that someone else needs to write his movies for him because. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a he's a great director. Like his directing is looks amazing, but his 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 writing, I don't know. So if it's so great, uh, Shane Black, which. Uh, as of recently is the, the the nice guys, which I thought was a hilarious movie, um, but he also did do uh, Iron Man three, which I believe up until Civil War was the highest grossing Marvel movie. That's right. Uh, Damien Chazelle or Chazella or Chazelle, however you say it, uh, the director of Whiplash, writer director of Whiplash, uh, Dan Gilroy mm-hmm. of. Directing Nightcrawler, which was an incredible movie. I don't know if I'd want him to direct the Flash movie, but you know, Nightcrawler <laughs> was a great movie. And then, of course, Edgar Wright, who they uh, we, we, we remember got left Ant Man before it came out. So, yeah, of those twelve, who would probably be your number one choice? You know what? Every time you say a name, I'm like, oh, I really like him. They're like, oh, I don't know who that is. But then I like this guy. <laughs> um, you know what? I think out of all of those, honestly, the one I would want to see the most would be um, Edgar Wright. Now that you mention it, <laughs> I would. I mean, I would love to see an Edgar Wright movie, especially like if he were to tackle it the same way he did Scott Pilgrim. And made the Flash movie, that would be the perfect tone. However, yeah. I feel like the way that we've seen these other 
DC movies, I mean, unless they, unless the reports are true that they're going to change the tone and change the direction of the movies, if it's going the same way that they have been going, I would love to see Neil Blomkamp. I think he would do a uh, Flash movie incredible. Like the special effects and the, the directing on it would be would be amazing. Yeah, I was going to say if you want to go for the best looking movie. Neil Blomkamp is probably going to be the guy because his use of special effects so far is like almost unparalleled. He can do so much with so little and it looks amazing. Um, but as far as tone, I would prefer Edgar Wright's because he always has an incredible sense of momentum and pacing. Oh, you're um, too true. Movies. Yeah, like Scott Pilgrim just it breezes by and it never feels dull. And uh, like Hot Fuzz, just always it, it builds up to such a great crescendo. Um, I think his version of Ant Man would have been amazing based on what I read about his like initial test footage. Um, from the sound of it, a lot of what was really cool about Ant Man was based on his work. Um, so I think it'd be between those two. I'm. I wouldn't go with someone like Gareth Edwards because he's still too new and somewhat unproven. And although I liked Godzilla, I, it didn't blow me away. Yeah, I hated Godzilla. <laughs> so, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I would not want him to, to do it. I mean, you're right. I think you're right. I think he's still a little too untested. And that's what you get when you like you, you would eventually get or like what happened with uh, Josh Trank on Fantastic Four. Oh, yeah. Which I've heard actually interesting things about Gareth Edwards on his um, current outing for um, the project he's currently working on. Uh, oh, I'm having a total brain freeze. Um, but yeah, I heard that he was also having problems on set recently on something he was working on that wasn't showing him too favorably in the studio's eyes. Hmm. Was so it, I'm kind of wondering it, if is it not Godzilla two like the, the the follow up to Godzilla? Oh, I actually he's completely off that project. Oh, okay. Oh, isn't isn't Gareth Edwards doing the Rogue One? That must be it. Oh, actually, yes, that ties into exactly to my next article that I was going to talk about. Okay. Uh, Rogue One is going into reshoots, and although we know that you know in Hollywood. Move, uh, you know, movies going into reshoots is not really out of the ordinary. It doesn't necessarily spell doom for the quality of the movie. No, you know what spells uh, doom for the quality of the movie is pushbacks. When you know the movie has been <laughs> been finished, and then they're like they've gone to test audiences, and then all of a sudden it's getting pushed back another month or another month. That's because that's those those reshoots mean it's bad movie. But go ahead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the Hollywood Reporter saying that. Um, you know, reports are mixed right now as far as the quality of the movie. It's saying that the studio uh, is not too happy with the first cut they got. And uh, they're butting heads with what they say the tone of the movie should be because Gareth Edwards wants something dark and um, very different in tone from the other movies. And the studios wanted to fall more in line with like something like The Force Awakens. Which, I mean... I, I can't say that I blame the studio because they saw what happened with The Force Awakens and, you know, it just it fucking just blew everything out of the water. But 
it's pretty sad that they've already chosen to give Gareth Edwards the helm on this movie, and now they're they're trying to box him in, and that that sucks because yes, you'd, you'd want another movie that's going to be good. Now, bear in mind, I didn't like. I mean, I, no, don't get me wrong. I liked F- The Force Awakens. I didn't like it as much as everybody else liked it. Uh, but, and I and I know we talked about that on my podcast before, but uh, I just think that a new direction or at least something different, especially for this movie, which is an anthology movie, it's not part of the, the trilogy proper, let him do something different. Yeah, I mean, and that's I believe that's what the whole point of these anthology movies should be, is that they try different genres um, you know, have like a this one's supposed to be a heist movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, set in the Star Wars universe, and if they're gonna go and start fiddling with it, add, add more Force powers or Jedi or something in order to tie it in, and then you're gonna start having some problems. I think. Yeah, I mean, you could just I can, I mean I can only sit there and imagine that Mar or Marvel Disney is coming in and be like, well, how about we make it so that some of these characters are related to the other characters? characters and you know how come there's not yoda in this movie or where's the the toy where's the creature that we can sell as a as a toy or a stuffed animal or something no this is supposed to be a heist movie this is supposed to be uh you know an important part of the the mythology of getting to episode four and yeah that's i mean it, it sucks that they that they're if 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 it's if it's going that way yeah i mean they don't want to lose potential return on their product you know if it which is essentially the problem that uh, return of the jedi ran into uh when lucas decided he wanted to go more commercial and the producers one of his main producers ended up quitting because you know lucas wanted to go the safe route and include a bunch of stuff you can make toys out of rather than end the series on what should have been the the natural you know the flow of the story which was bittersweet right uh which brings me to my last uh, article, which is about uh, the remake or the reboot, I should say, of the franchise Friday the 13th. Um, it's looking like Aaron Guzikowski, who is the current... No, wait, no, I'm sorry. Brad Fuller, whose uh, next production is TMNT Out of the Shadows. Um, he's going to be the producer uh, working on reviving the Friday the 13th franchise. Um, what he's looking for is that he wants to uh, basically redo the origin of, of Jason, uh, obviously bring back his mother because she was the the uh, the killer in the first movie, but then also... Spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm sorry, spoiled, spoiled <laughs> the 30-year-old movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she was the killer in the first movie, not Jason, and... Uh, have to, uh, they want to basically redo his origin. I'm so I'm guessing you're gonna see more of young Jason at the camp when he died, yeah, which would be the worst possible thing you can do. To, uh, <laughs> this is like episode one, Jason. Um, no, see, this is what sucks about Hollywood, and what they don't seem to understand is you don't remake movies that are cult classics or they're already good in their own respect. You should remake the movies that sucked. You know, go remake Boogeyman, or, you know, go remake, um, I don't know, I'm drawing blank on scary movies that suck now because I tend to erase <laughs> them out of the brain. Um, I, you're right, though. Uh, remaking cult classics is really 
uh, a really dangerous game because you have all these fans who really love the property, and then you have other people who maybe just recognize the name. So even if they're like, it didn't do it didn't do the big blockbuster weekends that it did when it first came out. Uh, you're expecting to do better this year or this time because of of the cult following the people who who are the cult following aren't going to like it because it's not going to be the same. And then the people who barely recognize the name aren't going to go see it because they're like, ah, I don't really care. (laughs) Fun fact. um, The day I got married was Friday the 13th. And the, the latest version of it, which came out in 2009 came out that day. Oh, really? So, For for our wedding day, we uh, went to the movies and watched Friday the 13th on Friday the 13th. Well, look at that. Do you own the copy of that movie? Uh, No, we didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But still, you should just own a copy of it just to own a copy. It's got Jared Padlecki in it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'd also had one of the main characters look like a young Tom Cruise, which was really upsetting for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. Was it... Next time you see it, you'll notice it. He just has that weird vacant look that Tom Cruise has. Fair enough. I will, I will have to. I'll have to go check that out again because I mean I don't think I've seen. I don't think I've seen that movie since it was out in the theaters. So there Same we go. Here, actually. <laughs> uh, well, they, I mean, do you have any more that you wanted to throw? Um, out there? I'm I'm all good right now. Okay, let's uh, go ahead and move on to our lineage for this week, which is. Uh, a one rogue crow by the name of Benjamin Stark. The brother beyond the wall, as he was credited this last week. That's right. Yes, Benjamin Stark, also known as the little Stark. Actually, he's not. No, I just made that up right now. <laughs> um, he was the youngest son of Rickard Stark. Uh, he was the um, little brother of... Uh, Ned Stark, and the third in line for succession to the lordship of Winterfell. Now, as we've covered before, I believe, in the Jorah lineage, in the north, um, when you're a certain level down from the, you know, receiving any kind of lordship or lands, uh, you really don't have a lot of choices as to what your future is going to be. I mean, you're obviously going to get married to another noble somewhere in the north, and you know, be in charge of some small plot of land somewhere, but really have no uh, regard in any sense. Right. Or you can do what would be considered honorable by most Nor- uh, Northerners. I want to say Nords because I've been playing Skyrim lately. <laughs> uh, a lot of Northerners see serving in the wall as sort of a duty and a privilege. Which so is, when the time came... Which I, I just think is, 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 I don't say funny, but it's kind of sad because, like, I know that as since you're already so far down on the you know the 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 family tree or the lineage I guess you want to say uh, that you're not going to get any uh, lordships or whatever. But once you become part of the Night's Watch, you get to own nothing. You get to, you don't even get you, I mean you don't even have your name really, or you your name is the only thing that you have. You don't get to have any titles or lordships or anything. So, I mean that just sucks. <laughs> You're not even allowed to take on a, a wife. Well, I mean, it's kind of a little-known secret that 
they'll go to the nearest little town and have some fun with the ladies of the night. Just kind of keep it on the down low. I guess that's true. So I mean, it works out. It works out for them on that end. But yeah. but yeah, probably I mean... every now and then a wild link. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. So what you were saying? Uh, yeah. So uh, basically, he just decided when he uh, turned um, fifteen, I believe, that he was going to go join the Night's Watch. Now, this was when things. Uh, we're just about to start turning south for everyone. Um, before you know it, the uh, the tournament happens in which Rhaegar Targaryen does the unthinkable thing of naming Lyanna Stark the the lady of the the tournament, the the, the lady of beauty and love, um, as they call it. Gives her you know a bouquet of roses and then later takes off with her. This sparks the the Robert Rebellion, because he was pretty pissed off. She was supposed to be promised to him, and then here comes Rhaegar, a prince that's already married, and you know takes off with her. Um, when um, Rickard Stark goes to uh, ask for uh, Rhaegar to release her, the Mad King burns him alive, and then burns uh, Ned Stark's older brother, whose name escapes me right now, as well. Uh, this then left Ned Stark as the Lord of Winterfell by default, which would have made uh, Benjen Stark the second in command, the second Stark, and actually much more useful and beneficial to have stayed in Winterfell in case anything were to happen to Ned. There you go. Unfortunately, by this point, he was already long gone, and as you know, the men in black are not to take part in any of the problems of the world. And likewise, when they get to the to the Wall... All of their lordships, all of their claims are forfeited, and they serve only the brothers and nothing else. Until they so, die. Until they die. <laughs> and then come back. And then come back. <laughs> if yes. you're Jon Snow. It was a similar problem that happened um, with Aemon Targaryen, the former maester at the Wall, who recounted during the first season to Jon Snow that... Um, you know, he was well aware the whole time that the um, the rebellion was happening, that you know, the king was murdered by his own Kingsguard, the prince was murdered by Robert Targaryen, and the queen and her children were murdered by the mountain. Yet the whole time, he could do nothing. You know, mm-hmm. And it filled him with anger and all that stuff, but he just kind of had to swallow it and, you know, keep on doing his duty, even though he was, at this point, the only known remaining Targaryen in existence on Westeros. So that leads us to more recent events. The first time we see Benjen in the series, he's at Winterfell during the visit of uh, Robert Baratheon and his uh, his uh, crew. I want to say I can't think of the word. His um, you know his whole um, following family, and um, he's there for the double duty of the fact that you know when the king comes to Winterfell, you know someone a representative of the Night's Watch should come down and you know say hello. Uh-huh. Um, but also because they routinely pick up, you know, people who are prisoners or who are criminals and are being given a second chance to go serve at the wall and have all of their crimes, you know, basically forgiven. Um, like we saw the like the Arya catch a ride with when she was leaving uh, like King's Landing, right? Exactly, yeah. Sometimes they'll go far south, but... Uh, in this particular case, it was, like I said, double duty, say hi to the king, you know, pick up some 
wayward prisoners and anybody they might also be volunteering, which unfortunately in that time and age, it's not that many. Um, Interestingly enough, um, from a narrative perspective, it does seem like the people who have the most to lose when it comes to inheritance are the ones that are the most willing to join the wall. And the opposite would be the ones who really don't want to be there have to end up being forced. You know, they either go to the wall or get castrated or murdered themselves or executed. (laughs) I guess, yeah, the wall might sound like a a better alternative. (laughs) So Benjamin... One of the new recruits Benjen takes is Jon Snow. You know, he spent some time with his uncle. He really likes him, uh, looks up to him. They go together, and Benjen doesn't necessarily try to talk him out of it, just tells him to make sure, like, hey, this is going to be a huge, you know, responsibility, one that you can't take back once you're committed. And he was like, ah, that's cool. And uh, he wants to be a ranger like his uncle, Benjen. And um, basically what that means is, as you've seen in the show, they'll have some of the brothers that go beyond the wall. Um, sometimes they camp out at Craster's. Other times they just kind of, you know, survive in the wild. Um, their main duty is uh, to hunt, but they also, you know, keep a lookout for potential wildlings that are trying to cross over the wall. Um, occasionally, and well, more so in the past... Uh, because until recently, the White Walkers weren't a big problem. They were also supposed to hunt down White Walkers and execute them as quickly as possible. Um, so, Season 1, Benjen goes beyond the wall on a ranging mission with, uh, I believe, two other rangers. Um, neither of which come back alive at this point. Benjen disappears completely. Uh, the two other rangers are found dead, but when they're brought back to the wall, they reanimate and uh, or was it just one it was just one maybe it was just one yeah they bring back just the one they find a part of the other one i should say um i think in the books it was both of them that's why i might be confused um but nevertheless they've talked about how much they don't have uh, they don't have as much money or at least not in the first season they didn't have as much money as they'd like to so reanimating a second person might have been more expensive than they wanted to be that's how they could afford one corpse. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so Benjen disappears completely. Everyone fears the worst. He must be dead. By the end of the first season, I believe, is when um, John joins the, the 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 first major Night's Watch ranging uh, in a really long time. I forget if they haven't said how long it's been that they've sent that many, but I think they sent something like more than half of the Night's Watch. Um, basically every able-bodied person that can go goes on a ranging mission beyond the wall to, to see what's going on and, you know, find the source of whatever caused that corpse to reanimate. Uh, five seasons later, and you finally find out what happened to Benjen. And that's where we're going to get into uh, the episode. So we have uh, basically the, uh, what's the name of the girl that's the archer that's protecting uh, Bran? That's Mira. Mira is is once is still protecting Bran, uh, trying to get him to some kind of safety. And uh, while he's still, what's the word, wargling? He's a uh, uh, green scene. Green scene. Okay. Yes. So Working while... is working is when they go into uh, another person or animal. But this is him just uh, reliving memories. Right. Okay. So while he's doing that, uh, the the 
White Walkers or the zombies are getting closer, and uh, Benjamin comes out of nowhere and basically saves them. But he, you see that he's obviously doesn't look too good. He doesn't. He looks a lot worse for wear. No, he's a little deadish. <laughs> he's deadish. Yes. So for the sounds of it, that he was he was going to be turning into uh, one of those those things, but uh, the uh, the children saved him by using some of the dragon glass. Yes, they they saved him by doing the same thing they showed in the flashback when they turned the first man into the Night's King, um, which stops the transformation because the White Walkers left him to die. And so he comes back, and now he's he's basically a servant or some kind of helper of Three-Eyed Raven, right? Uh, or at least he reveals as much that you know he knows he knows right away who Bran is and why he was there. Now, an interesting aside is that they don't call him Cold Hands, but in the books, there's a character that's very much doing what Benjen is doing now. Uh, George R. R. Martin has made it clear several times that that is not Benjen, so this could be a situation where the show is kind of cro- uh, combining two different characters for the sake of like narrative purposes, you know, so they don't have to introduce a completely new character. Which makes sense. But essentially, yes, there's a character in the books called Cold Hands who actually helped them get to the Three-Eyed Raven from the wall. Oh. Um, and he's described as wearing um, Night's Watch clothing, but his face is completely covered. He's very raspy um, when he talks at all. His, and, um, he seems to be afraid of fire. So they suspect, and also that his hands are cold. That's where his names come from. Which would make um, sense because uh, the one way to get rid of a White Walker is to burn him. Right. So he's kind of apprehensive of uh, fire, which is why it's interesting that it looks like Benjen is filling that character from the books role. However, he's not afraid of fire, and yet we also see that he is, in fact, a reanimated corpse. Right. So, so uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, it's it's. It seems like basically they're they're combining two characters uh, instead of having to come up with a new narrative for a second character. Um, why do you think it's something it, they've done? Yeah. Why do you think it is that uh, a dead body being stabbed with the the, uh, the dragon glass has a different effect than um, a live body? Because the the knight the knight's king getting stabbed, he was alive. Well, my takeaway uh, take from that is that the dragon glass has magical properties, but it's it looked like they were chanting some kind of spell or doing some sort of ritual before they stabbed the, the original um, Night's King. Right. So what I'm taking from that is that you just have to recite or do some kind of different incantation, and that's the, the effect that it had was to keep them from turning. So it's not so much that the dragon glass has that one specific ability to turn things into whites. It's more like it's just a magical thing that makes a spell, you know, it's like a catalyst for a right. spell. Okay, I get you. Um, yeah. I think in the in Brand's green scene uh, flashbacks, you get to, we get to re-see the scene of uh, one of the babies that had been being given up to the White Walkers repeatedly by uh, the, that one dude. I forget what his name was. Yeah, Craster. Craster, yeah. Uh, yep. And you see the Night's King kind of changing him. What, what 
do you have more insight on that? What why is it that what were they doing with the babies? Well, that's actually I believe from season three or four. No, that might have been actually no, that was from season two. Um, yeah, that was when um, yeah, Craster gives up one of his um, male children, leaves them out in the in the woods, and a White Walker comes and takes them. And then at the end of that episode, you see the that exact scene play out like it did in his vision, where the Night King goes to a little altar, uh, touches his face, and the baby's eyes start to glow blue like a White Walker. Right. Um, all of that is entirely from the show only. Ah. So there's no there's no real context to, to derive from the books, but it, I believe it's being implied that um, he's basically there's two kinds of you know of those monsters beyond the wall. There's the White Walkers and the Whites. Right. The White Walkers are the more powerful ones that have their own like magic and and, um, and obviously individual their, thought processes. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, have their own and, minds. Yeah, and the whites are just the reanimated corpses that only do as they're told. So what I'm taking from this is that he was turning that baby into a white walker, which would grow up to become one of his, you know, lieutenants or something to that effect. So you think it's going to age from that point? Do you do you, do you think that there's a uh, like a, a sped up aging process or possibly that could explain why they look so like shriveled and weird in the face like maybe they get magically accelerated you know to to adulthood okay um the other so another part of this and i'll have to i will have to disclose this is that uh as soon as i saw that this episode was uh the scene in this episode that happens where uh it, it becomes sam tarley and uh what's her name gilly uh, Gilly, yeah, I audibly yelled in my living room because I really hate their their story. I just <laughs> do not, I cannot stand Sam, and I cannot, I, like, his part of the, the story is just worthless to me. Yes, probably in the future something will come of it, you know, he is the one that we got to see stab someone, stab a, a white with a, uh, with a dragon glass the first time or whatever, but man do I hate it when it has the, their part of their story so let's go ahead and get that part of the, the episode done <laughs> alright so yeah you have um, Sam and Gilly traveling to Horn Hill I believe um, on their way to the Citadel because Gilly cannot go with him uh, there's no place for her where he's going to be going to learn to be a maester um, he's basically going to become a wizard given some time which is one of the things he said in the first season Zick. I wanted to become a wizard. Right. And before you know it, I think he's definitely going to become a, the Gandalf of the series. But uh, yeah, so he's telling her what to do, what not to do. His dad is kind of a douche, and um, Sam's afraid of him. He's like, you know, he at Wildling, so just kind of don't mention that. And, you know, you'll live there. You'll be taken care of. The kid will be taken care of, who is now technically being adopted by Sam. Right. And... Sure enough, when they're having dinner, she opens her big mouth. It's revealed that, you know, she's a wildling. Um, Sam's dad actually takes it a lot better than I thought he would. By that meaning, he didn't have her executed and didn't kick him out, like, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he's actually growing a heart a little bit in his old age. Yeah, 
you read more about him or you know some of his other descriptions that they mention him, he sounds like he's even worse than Tywin in some cases. Worse than Tywin? Wow. How yeah. about worse than uh, uh, Walder Frey? Or uh, how about? Oh no, he's 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 more honorable than Walder Frey. Okay. How about uh, the uh, Theon's father? Um, I would say he might be on par with Theon's father. Okay. You could, they they probably would have been fishing buddies, <laughs> telling stories about how disappointed they are in their sons. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. So, uh, one of the things that was pretty interesting about that scene is the father mentions um, his Valyrian steel sword, how it's you know the pride and joy and in, in, of the family, and one day it's going to go to the you know the, the uh, eldest son, and since he didn't consider Sam you know worthy, it was going to go to his younger brother, um, Dickon, I believe his name is. Right, which obviously, like, like they did a uh, pretty great job in the casting of him because, like, if Sam is the worthless brother or the worthless son that in in his father's eyes and and totally doesn't look like the the what he wants, the other son is pretty much the pillar of what a king's son should look like, I guess, or a lord's son should look like, I should say. Yeah, he was like strong, brave, handsome, and all the things Sam wasn't really not. Yeah, uh, I did um, think it was hilarious that when Sam finally decides, "Let's get out of here, Gilly," you know, get the baby, get your stuff, and she's like, "I don't have any stuff." She's like, "All right, well, let's just <laughs> let's get going." Uh, that he he takes time out to go get the Valerian sword uh, off the mantle, and I'm like, I don't know why you're grabbing that thing, Sam, because you obviously don't know how to handle a sword, let alone a giant uh, broadsword like that. Right. Well, I think he's got a two-stage plan because of that. Okay. Um, obviously, Valyrian steel is one of the best weapons other than dragging glass and fire against the White Walkers. Ah. Um, he's either going to send it to the wall and have um, give it to either like Ed or maybe someone else will take it over. Or he's going to take it to... Uh, the Citadel, and try to learn some of the secrets of Valyrian steel because it's it's technically a magical alloy. Um, one of the reasons why Valyrian steel is so rare is because it used to be made in Valyria in like really hush hush conditions. Supposedly, it was also forged with uh, dragon fire and long lost uh, incantations. Um, so ever since the Doom of Valyria, there's been no new Valyrian steel made. Now, existing Valyrian steel swords can be reforged, as you saw they did to Ned Stark's sword, Ice. Right. Um, in the season four premiere, I believe, they show Tywin having it smelted and turned into two smaller swords. Right, So, which became uh, Oathkeeper and what was the name Joffrey gave his? I believe it was Widow's Whale. Okay. Uh, is Jon Snow's sword Valyrian steel, the one that he got yes. from the previous Lord Commander? Yes, that one, um, it used to be um, the sword of House Mormont, which G.R. Mormont had with him at, up at the wall, and was hoping someday to give it to Jorah if he ever came back and, you know, joined the, the Night's Watch. But instead, because of his bravery, and as you remember him saving Jorah from the, the White, decided to give it to him. The only alteration he made was he changed the pommel uh, from a bear to a white wolf. Right, okay. But the name remained the same. It was Longclaw all the time. Longclaw. 
Uh, can you name any other Valerian Steel swords that are still out there in play? Uh, there's Heartsbane, which was the one that Sam took. Um, there's the Dark Sister, which was a Targaryen sword. I think that one is currently missing. Um, in the show, they've mentioned very few Valerian Steel swords. There's also the dagger that uh, they tried to kill Bran with back in Season 1. And I believe Littlefinger is in possession of that one oh. at this time. Um, because it was his all along, but he tried to pin it on Turian. That was how that whole string of events that were kind of nonsensical happened. Right. Um, let's see, other major Valyrian steel... No, those are the main ones in the show. Now, how They've we... been pretty low-key about Valyrian steel on the show, unfortunately. Which would make sense. I mean, you don't... Well, want to to put out everything out there, but have we met any characters that were that have said that they've, they've been from Valyria? I know you said that it was the doomed land or whatever. Um, no, nobody's really from there anymore at this point. Um, let me see. I wanted to I, I wanted to say that uh, Rob Rob Stark's wife was from what Valantis. Yes. Okay. Uh, she was. A Valentine, um, but that is closer to Bravos, I believe, than it is to uh, Valyria. If you remember, um, when Tyrion and Jorah are sailing uh, through that one area where the the Stone Men attack them, right? That was actually near the Doom of Valyria. Okay, that's why it was really smoky and kind of in ruins because the the whole uh, kingdom is basically constantly under fire. Or just always covered in really thick, noxious gases. And where was it that uh, Tyrion's um, prostitute girlfriend was from? Shay. Um, Shay, yeah. Where was she from? I, she did say it at one point. I can't remember exactly. It was, um, I think it was Lise. L-Y-S, Lise. Okay. All right, fair enough. I, I don't know if where my brain was going, but I thought I remember hearing someone say they were from Valyria, but I think, I'm think i oh. thinking what it was was that I remember Rob Stark's wife saying she was from Volantis, and, you know, names Trust kind me, of I just have... go to, uh, they kind of just bleed together. I, I do have a very large map of Westeros and part of Essos, and I have considered putting little thumbtacks where everyone's from, <laughs> just because it is hard to keep track of everyone. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so another part was we, we, we got to see the continuation of Arya Stark's story with, uh, her trials with the, the many-faced god. And I have to say, you called it on that one. She messed up and now they want her head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, obviously who else would it be other than that other girl to be spying on Arya to see if she gets the do- job done or not, but... Yeah, you know, as much as she wants to be a uh, a faceless assassin, she just she just doesn't have the mentality to do it. She she can't get beyond her own uh, her own self. Yeah, and interestingly enough, um, as I've mentioned several times, I like going on Reddit, and there was a, a comparison of different scenes in the show, and uh, it the the theme was fathers and their relationship with their children. And, for example, you have Tarly's father, who um, is very disappointed with Sam. And then you have uh, Jamie, who's very disappointed with Tommen, 
which we'll get to the reason for that one as well. Right. And they also compared the scene to where Arya first goes backstage in this episode, and she comes across the severed head of Ned Stark, which is really just a wooden head, right. but that's who it represents. Uh-huh. And they're suggesting that seeing the head of Ned Stark is part of the reason why she turned her back on the, the, the mission. It's because she was reminded that Ned Stark would never have approved of her killing an innocent person. Right. Not honoring, not, it's not honorable and it's not the way that he would have raised her. Right. And so I thought that was a really interesting illusion, uh, which I could totally see. Um, You're right, I but mean, yeah, you pointed it out now. I, yeah, I definitely see that uh, running through the episode, but I, I would, and I didn't pick it up on the first watch. Well, yeah, neither did I. That's why I love going on Reddit. There's several more cleverer people than I. That... <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Reddit. Um, yeah, uh, man, they should be sponsoring us. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you have her go in. She plants the poison, but. Um, She's also very moved by the performance of uh, um, Lady Crane right. uh, as Cersei and, you know, dealing with the, the death of her son. And she kind of is reminded a lot of how she felt, I believe, when they killed her father, which is um, when she's sneaking around backstage and Lady Crane catches her. You know, she says, well, what do you think? And she says, well, I think you should have been more mad, not just crying. You know, you want to get revenge on the ones that did this. You know, you want to see them suffer as well. To which, you know, it kind of inspires Lady Crane to speak up later on and, you know, suggest to the writer of the show that, hey, maybe we should try it this way. Which he doesn't take very kindly. You know, nobody likes being told that their work needs to be rewritten, I guess. Well, you know what? I think that also was kind of a meta moment. To me, that's how I saw saw it reading is like, you know, people, there's so many fans of the show and they have an opinion on how it should be written and at least how it should be uh, written in comparison to the books or even if it's supposed to represent George R. R. Martin and how he writes the books but this is the writer telling you that look, I wrote it this way so just watch it, do it the way that I told you to do it. Yeah, that's a really good catch. Yeah, it, I, I was going to mention something like that that it reminded me of Hamlet when he said the play's the thing. Right. It's very, very meta. That's a good, good catch. Um, yeah, so all of this interaction makes Arya change her mind. She knocks the poison out, effectively saving the woman. And it even goes so far as to warn her that somebody wants her dead. Um, I didn't quite catch if she was directly outing the other actress or if she was just saying someone in the room wants her dead. I thought she pointed at the other actress and said, watch out for that one. But I couldn't quite make it out either, what, what she was saying. Yeah, so like that was kind of a hard one to really pinpoint, but nevertheless, now I'm sure she left that place kind of uh, in a bit of a quagmire with uh, her, who knows, maybe not trusting anybody. But that's where we leave that scene, because now we find out that the waif, um, as the other assassin is known, was there the whole time, and went directly to Jack and Hagar, sexy murder Jesus, and narked on her, say, nope, she did exactly what I thought she was going to do. To which Jack and then says, you know, just don't make her suffer. Right. Holy crap. And then the next scene after that, we see Arya reclaiming her identity by going back for Needle. Right. And, which, um, which I would have to wonder if, 
if she had actually thrown Needle into the water when she was supposed to, would that have been enough to make it so that she, like, not have so much uh, tethered to her past? Like, like the fact that she knew that Needle was still there, She's in the back of her mind she knows that I can always still go back to be Arya. Yeah, I thought that was pretty much telling us that she would someday come back for it. Right. Um, if she had thrown it in the water and say she's kind of, you know, on the shore or the bank of the river and she catches the glint of it in the water and finds it again, that might have been a bit more of like it's meant to be that I'm Arya, not the faceless one or whatever. Right. But knowing that it was there the whole time, it always kind of gave her the out, narratively speaking. And I mean, it was I knew it was going to be a matter of time. Um, but she has learned a lot. She knows how to change faces because she is if uh, she's going to, no pun intended, with uh, the waif. And um, she'll come back to, uh, oh, you'll see the waif come back to the house of black and white. Tell Jockin that, that it's been done. And then as she walks away, you see her pull a face off and realize it was Arya. And she actually killed the waif. If she can pull that off and, and, and also lie to Jockin that way, then more power to her because that'd be pretty that'd be pretty special, pretty impressive. Yeah. I think they've been toying with the fact that she might be a good enough liar that she can get away with lies now, thanks to that other time that I mentioned. So, do you think if if uh, she does, because I mean, you, you got you can't discount that they that they might actually kill her because this is Game of Thrones and nobody's safe, but. If they True. if they kill her, would they would they take her face to add it to the the collection? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah the 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 faceless men's rule is when they kill someone uh, for the face uh, the many face god. I keep saying this the way. Um, they're supposed to add a face to the wall. Oh okay. Um, and it's usually that person's face. Uh, but in this case, I believe he said, you know, either her face or your face is going on the wall or the in the pillars um but that leaves it interesting because um there was basically a contract so now someone has to die for the many-faced god uh it's no longer going to be the actress because aria you know threw away the contract so ideally it's supposed to be aria whose face goes up on on the wall right and depending on the outcome, it might not be Arya's. It might be the waves. It might even be Jockins. You don't know. It, or it could be just some random person. But somebody's face has to go because the price has been paid. There you go. All right. Um, the, which just leaves us to uh, the ha- go the happenings in uh, King's Landing. So we have the family Tyrell, uh, right? Yes. Yeah. Tyrells. The Tyrells and their army showing up uh, with uh, J- Jamie as their leader, basically, uh, and they go in to stop the walk of shame or walk of atonement that Marjorie is supposed to have that day. Right. Yeah. The <laughs> you have Mace Tyrell show up in a ridiculous feathered helmet <laughs> uh, with other troops. And you have a lot of sparrows and a lot of commoners outside just waiting for something to happen. Uh, Marjorie's already waiting, um, wearing her little rough spun robe. And they say, oh, wait, she's not going to do the Walk of Atonement because... And then Tommen walks out with his newly rebranded Kingsguard, 
who are now wearing armor depicting the the symbol of the the, the faith of the seven. The seven, right? Yeah. Which I mean, and, we did skip over the fact that earlier in the episode he had a little meeting with Marjorie, which was put together by the High Sparrow. And in that, Marjorie is is very much talking about how she has, or she's at least uh, talking like she has drank the Kool Aid for a lack of better of a term. Uh, she is all about the the religion and 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 being atoned and all that stuff. Yeah. Um... They're both talking like, you know what? He kind of makes sense, doesn't he? And they're like, yeah, right? <laughs> it's like a... I think the High Sparrow would have made a killing in Pyramid Schemes because he can sell you anything, pretty much. It sounds like it. I mean, um, it, literally, this to me, what this what this shows is that the, the, the small council is too busy uh, doing other stuff and not paying attention to the king, who, for all... Uh, intensive purposes in the eyes of the people of the of the kingdom has is the top you know even though he might not be the one that's actually making the decisions he is the figurehead and now that he walks out of the church you know being ha- as one of the these church people all the kingdom is going to follow him they should have been paying attention to what the fuck he was doing yep and um it's all going to tie back to to Cersei who first allowed the the High Sparrow to rise in power, thinking that he was going to be on her side, not realizing he was on nobody's side. Except for his own. Yeah. There's (laughs) there's nobody as dangerous as someone who's uncorruptible, apparently. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so what this spells is uh, pretty interesting. Um, Also, it led to uh, Tommen do the unthinkable and basically exonerate... Is that the correct word? <laughs> um, basically strip his Uncle Daddy Jamie of all of his Kingsguard power. Yep. From the, and from the sounds of it, they were they were sending him to... Uh, oh, where? Where were they sending him so that he could, he could fight in a war that he didn't want to be in? Yes, they're sending him to River Run. Uh, that'll tie into the next little piece of plot dealing with Walter Frey. That's right. Um, but essentially, um, a little insight with the books Jamie never goes to Dorne that little subplot he did with Bronn where they go supposedly to rescue um Marcella right was actually being done by another member of the Kingsguard I believe um who didn't survive um no surprise there (laughs) Jamie actually at this point in the story is already fed up with Cersei and decides to just leave and he's going to River Run in order to deal with the situation that he's currently being sent to deal with now, which is uh, Brynden the Blackfish Tully has retaken control of it. Okay. He's someone who's been missing since uh, the Red Wedding, um, which Walter Frey makes several mentions to, um, and saying that, you know, how could you let him escape? He was here. Now he's taking control of River Run, which is the, the Tully uh, homestead. And so Jamie is now being sent there to deal with that. Which I also think it's funny that uh, Walder Frey has not had to pay for that uh, inviting, so, killing someone that you invited into their into your home. Little comment that they had after that season, after the Red Wedding. Well, there's a reason why he got away with it, and that's because he was being backed by the Lannisters. Right, but I, the way the, the, most... the way they said that line, it, it seemed more like a a uh, universal like 
getting back at him, like like the universe, like karma, basically getting back at him. Not so much uh, having to pay for it in the the royal sense. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's it's um, they mention a story in the books about. Um, I think they actually mentioned it in the show too. I want to say in uh, the the episode right before Bran and Mira and Jojen go north of the wall. They're recounting a story where they mention that a man was cursed um, because in the north because he broke that rule of uh, killing a guest in his own home when he was welcomed and when his safety was secured. So he was turned into a rat and forced to be immortal and lived out the rat like the rest of time as a rat. Uh. Uh, so I think it's an allusion to that that he's kind of feeling that that slight paranoia that oh man like karma's maybe starting to catch up to me about this so then i also thought it was great that we finally got to see what happened with the the tully that married walder Frey's daughter at the red wedding because after that i mean he gets carried away during the reception before all the murdering happens and i wondered if they ended up killing him well obviously they just kind of threw him into the dungeon and, and shackled him no yeah they mentioned uh I believe the episode after the Red Wedding, when they're mopping up all the blood and everything, that, um, oh yeah, so I have one in the in the dungeon and the other one's gone missing. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, they, they did mention real quick that they needed him alive, for the time being at least, until he produced an heir. Um, because that heir would then become the Lord of uh, River Run. Once they killed him. And then they would kill, yeah, they would kill Edmure once he was no longer of use. Plus, he was always seen as kind of buffoonish in the story. So, <laughs> yeah, it looks like they're going to use him as leverage in order to get the the Blackfish out of River Run. Okay, so uh, that's what's going on at River Run, and now we also get to see what it, uh, the Khaleesi is up to, or Daenerys, or you know, one of her many many names. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just add probably ten more now that she's done all the few recent things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but we got to see the return of, uh, I want to say, Drogon? Yes. Okay. I really liked how a, a friend of mine put it. And it says, it looks like she leveled to, to 70 and gained her epic flying mount. <laughs> That's a little World of Warcraft humor. <laughs> uh, I do want to say also that... Um, Drogon seems to have gotten quite bigger too. Yeah, it's definitely bigger than when uh, we saw him last. Yeah. And um that's partially because as the story progresses, I mean, the the time is somewhat loose that they play with. I mean, every season is approximately a year, a year's worth of time. Okay. But I think the dragons as they get closer and closer to where they need to be, they sort of had to slowly, incrementally make them bigger, hoping we don't notice. Um, but yeah, they're not supposed to be this big yet. Ideally, they're still... Um, um, like, Daenerys should barely be able to ride him, and now he looks like he could carry, like, ten people on his back. Oh, yeah, he could definitely easily carry ten people on his back. Yeah, he's, he's huge. <laughs> does look pretty badass, though, I mean. Like, he does. And then it definitely gave her a nice podium to uh, sit there and give her rallying speech to the the rest of her Kalisar. So, 
That was yeah, pretty who's awesome. Gonna say no. Yeah, exactly. Who's going to be like, yeah, that's okay. I'm going to go this way instead. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to bring up, just kind of as a to tie all, some of these plot points together. Uh, before Jamie is sent away, he's having a conversation with Cersei. And Jamie's asking her, so what are you going to do? You still have to face trial. Like the, the Walk of Atonement was just to get you out of the the Sept of Baylor, but you know you you technically still have to stand trial. And she made the, the correction: it's a trial by combat. I have the mountain. I'm I'm not worried about anything, you know. So that's an interesting statement because, like I said, we're already ahead of this point in the books. However, you have to remember, although the mountain is a nigh invincible warrior. He has been bested twice uh, in the storyline, both true. in the show and the books. Now, one of those is definitely dead. The other was left for dead. So you're saying so you're saying uh, the hound? Implied. The hound is potentially still alive, and if through some, you know time and space bending of the writers (laughs) he was picked up saved and made to repent by the the sparrows who's to say that it could become what some people refer to as the clegane bowl wait so when did the the hound best the mountain no the hound is the mountain's younger brother right but you, you said he's been bested by two people right when did when did the other one being um uh, Oberyn Martell, right? Uh, Ty- the, yeah, Martell. yeah, the 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 Red Viper or whatever his name was, his nickname, right? Yeah, the the Red Viper. Okay, yeah. but so that w- that would leave one time. So the other time would yes. be the Hound. The Hound is uh, Sandra Clegane. I, no, I understand that, but I mean, he, did the Hound best the Mountain? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in season one, okay, uh, during the tournament when. Uh, some trickery happens that causes the the mountain to lose uh, a jousting match. That's he, when he goes ballistic, decapitates and... his own horse, and R- goes after Loris Tyrell. Uh huh. And the only one that stopped him was uh, the the hound. Oh, I guess I, I that 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 moment had uh, escaped my my brain. I remember him cutting off the ho- head of his own horse, but yeah. I didn't I didn't remember uh, the the hound the stepping reason... in. Yeah, the only reason the Hound didn't really finish the fight was because that was when King Robert had enough and yelled for them to stop. And it was actually the Hound who stopped immediately and knelt down. And the Mountain actually had the chance to possibly continue attacking, but then he thought better of it and just took off angrily. Okay. So, that would be interesting if uh, we did see the return of the Hound and we had the the Clegon Bowl or whatever, however you said it. The Clegane Bowl. Clegane yeah. Bowl, I'm sorry. Yeah, they, they, they like to name potential uh, character confrontations. <laughs> so, like, Jon Snow going to fight Ramsay Snow, they call it the Bastard Bowl. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, anytime Brienne's going to go up against anybody, it's the Brienne Bowl. So, it's silly little naming conventions. Whoa. Okay, I, I, I'm all in. I want to see that fight between uh, the Mountain and, and uh, the Hound. 
It's going to be great. Uh, anything else that you want to say about this particular episode? Um, let's see. We're certainly building up. I Even though I felt this episode was slower paced than the previous ones, there was no shortage of really good information being doled out in painful, like painfully small dosages. Um, we didn't cover that in some of the visions that Bran was having where he wasn't in control of what he was seeing. We saw snippets of the Mad King for the first time in the show. Okay. Um, you see him ordering for someone to burn them all. You see snippets of the alchemist pouring the wildfire into uh, containers. Uh, you see an explosion of wildfire in the same uh, area. Um, and then you see a couple of really quick cuts of Jamie as he goes and murders the, the Mad King. So, since... so it's pretty interesting that you're playing with that already. So... We Hopefully they'll, they'll show a more complete version of that in the near future. Right. That's what I was going to say. Since they, we know that as a production, they filmed these things, at least for the flashbacks. Do you think that they filmed them in, in, in their entireties for uh, more fleshed out flashbacks that we'll get to see? So it sounds like you, you hope that that we do. Yeah. Cool. I mean, and we probably will, but I'm like, just the, the uh, anticipation is building. <laughs> Cool. Uh, I think uh, we covered the, the episode pretty well. There's a, a, a lot to digest in this episode, though it was, uh, or at least a lot of people have said that it was much uh, slower and uh, you know maybe not as in, as interesting as the other as other episodes. But I enjoyed it, so uh, that's en- that's that's enough for me. Um, what if you had some other things that you guys would want want to add to uh, our synopsis? We'd like to hear from you. Uh, it's at Geekly Radio on Twitter. My personal one is at Agent underscore of the underscore bat. John has, now has a Twitter, so his is. I am at Magic Bollocks. And you can all you can also find him if you look onto uh, at Geekly Radio. You can find him as one of uh, the followers there. So if you can't seem to spell out Magic Bollocks for whatever reason, <laughs> uh, Geekly Radio on Facebook is where you can. Uh, Get into most of the conversation with us, you know, see what we have to say, add in what you want to say. And geeklyradio.com is our website where you can catch archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. Uh, but until, or for the most part, until next week, this has been the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying, always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.